0: home um, in that particular area, and they all turn up with this story, and what we're going to find out about each of these three men is they all fail spectacularly today. They all fail spectacularly in their role. And the big idea of what I want to talk about is all of us fail Jesus at some point, usually quite a lot. but the good news is Jesus is bigger than all our failures. We all fail, fail Jesus at some point, but Jesus is bigger than our failures. So let's dive in. If you've got your Bible, if you go to chapter 18, verse 12, where we're going to pick it up, it says, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, let's just explain this. Both Annas and Caiaphas are referred to as high priests, which leads you to a bit of like, well, which one is it? Who's the high priest? Let me explain what happens. Caiaphas was the, was the high priest, and here's the one back in chapter 11 said, look, it's a good idea, let's just kill this Jesus to save the nation. And his words are dripping with irony, because he just thinks, if we just kill him... He's gone. The nation of Israel will, will be all right when the irony behind it, Jesus is going to die to save the nation of Israel and what comes beyond. So that's his view. But behind that is Annas, and Annas is his father-in-law. And Annas was the high priest for a number of years, from AD 6 to AD 15, but he was deposed by a Roman governor, which really upset the Jews because the appointment of high priest was for life. So basically the Roman authorities have interfered with kind of the law of Moses that were laid down, that they have been trying to follow, and the worship at the temple. And so they really did not, were not happy with this, because their high priest had been deposed and someone put in his place. And so many still believed Annas, or, or viewed him as the high priest, because he was the one who should be in office. Um, but just to make it even more complicated, after Annas was deposed as high priest... History tells us that five of his sons were high priests, plus his son-in-law, Caiaphas. So there was kind of a family dynasty going on here. They were running the show, because rather than the high priest's office got changed from this appointment for life of someone who would mediate between man and God and stand in that role, but it's now become a kind of almost a political office that's sort of elected each year. And that's why it says, in that year, who was high priest rather than this kind of office of God for for life. And it turns out five of this guy's sons have been high priests and his son-in-law. And you think, someone's rigging this election, aren't they? You know, someone is kind of cooking the books on this one. And so many considered Caiaphas the the high priest, the real one, and he was the power behind the throne. So Jesus was taken to him first because he was the guy pulling the string. So that's who Annas was. We read on the passage. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus... And so did another disciple. That's in a kind of an oblique reference to John, the author of the gospel. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the disciples who had known the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Now, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recount Peter's spectacular failure and denial of Christ. He, Peter was one of the disciples, one of the twelve Of those twelve disciples. Not only was he one of the twelve, he was one of the inner core of three, Peter, James and John, who are like the the closest to Jesus within that core of twelve. And whenever the disciples are listed, Peter always comes first. So he was kind of the leader spokesperson of that disciples. He had kind of preeminence. So he was the man among that. He'd been following Jesus from the beginning, one of the first to be called. He'd seen miracles of Jesus. He's the one who walked on water, got out the boat, he'd heard the teaching. He's the one who confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God, the first one there. And he had stuck with Jesus even when he'd been arrested and everyone seemed to have fled. He's one of the ones who's like still there tagging along, seeing what's happened. But he makes it into this courtyard of the high priest because John's known and he kind of lets him in. And then he's confronted by a young girl. And he's asked, he's asked a straight up and down question Aren't you one of his followers, this Jesus who's been arrested? Aren't you one of his guys? Aren't you one of the ones who's been following around and listening to his teacher? Aren't you on his side? They say, and we don't know what was behind Peter's answer. Maybe it was a bit of fear. He was suddenly felt he was surrounded by all these people who would be hostile to him. Maybe he's still living because there was an incident we looked at last week. What did Peter do with the sword? He, start, he attacked someone and he cut their ear off. And Jesus had to like, well, oh, stop that. I'll heal him. So maybe he's feeling a bit like, I'm guilty of assault with a deadly weapon. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a charge out after me. I maybe mean, they've issued a warrant or something. And he makes this the first of this staggering statement. Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he simply says, no, I'm not. Which, however you spin it, is a blatant lie. It's just, it's just not true. Yes, you, you are one of his followers. And he says, no, I'm not. Um, and he uses that to get in, and then he starts. He's kind of he starts mingling in with them, with the fire. Now we carry on the story. It says uh, the high priests. So back to Annas now. Then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, "I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the joy Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said." when he said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why why did you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he's brought before Annas the power behind the throne, the true power kind of within religious israel and he starts questioning about his teaching and jesus is just up front he said everything i said is public i haven't hidden anything so you can all you have to do is go and ask anyone who heard i've been teaching in the temple courts all that week because bear in mind this is the last week of his life he's it's the friday um he came into jerusalem on the sunday he's been teaching all week we read in the other gospels saying it's all just out there public some of Jesus' things have been quite spectacularly public, where he stand up and shouted at some of the festivals, some of the things he's believed. What? He says, why are you questioning me? Just go and ask someone who heard it. Because under Jewish law, actually, you actually interrogate the witnesses first people who actually heard it. So what should have happened is they should have got witnesses in to kind of testify against Jesus, saying this is what he was doing. And Jesus is saying, why are you asking me? Go and talk to these people. To which he is then whacked in the face for his response by an overzealous officer there saying, oh, you shouldn't talk to the high priest like that. Yet his response was perfectly reasonable. Jesus then questions their actions, which is ironic, really, because he's the one on trial. And he then starts questioning their actions. Why are you doing... Why did you strike me? He says, If what I said was wrong, fine, prove it. But if what I said is right, why are you hitting me? And in short, Jesus wa- wanting them to, to um, ask for a fair trial, to provide witnesses and say, you know, put charges against me, which of course they can't have any because there aren't any. But this is what they've reduced to. They've reduced to kind of capturing at night, a physical assault and actually not kind of getting to the root of it. And so... Moving on, we then have, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied him, and at once the rooster crows. So Peter has made his initial, no, I'm not one of them. And once you, if you've ever done that and you've started to lie and then you've, you, someone calls you on the lie almost your response is I've got to keep going in this I can't kind of turn around I've got to keep justifying it so he says no no I'm not one of Jesus' followers and then a guy a re- it doesn't say which relative but it's like you cut off my brother my cousin my friend's ear in the garden I watched you do it you are one of his followers and, Jesus, and Peter's like uh oh I'm about to get kiffered here because I've now got an eyewitness who saw me and he's like no 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 that definitely wasn't me and after that third one, we get this kind of, I don't know what it was like for Peter. It must have been that kind of silent moment when the bell tolls. And he suddenly realizes he's denied Jesus three times. And what did Jesus say would happen? He actually predicted it. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter was like, no, I'm not, Lord. I'm going to stay with you to the end. And he suddenly realized he has spectacularly failed his Lord. He's actually, not only has he just failed, actually Jesus predicted it. Jesus knew it about him. And he's like, I've just done it three times in a row and completely blown this. If you read some of the other Gospels accounts, it says that, at that point, it says, Jesus, uh, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. That was kind of the phrase it used, that sense of, I have failed a remorse. But John doesn't uh, sort of put that in his account. But the bottom line is, Peter has spectacularly failed his Lord. So we've seen two characters thus far, Annas and Peter, and their failures. What we see from Annas, as Annas represents... Um, the kind of religious life of Israel, the people of Israel, their, their connection with the one true God of Israel, the one who brought them out of slavery in Exodus, the one who brought them into the Promised Land, the one whose presence dwelt in the temple. And in the law, God had said, this is how you're going to minister me. We're going to have the tabernacle, then it'll become the temple, and you'll have priests around me who'll minister me, and they'll intercede to me on behalf of the people, and they'll offer the sacrifices, and then you'll have the high priest from Aaron's line, who will be the one who comes into the Holy Holies and offers that sacrifice in the day of the atonement once, et etc., etc., and he, he represents that of people walking to God. But instead of having a humble spirit of those who would come before God in fear and trepidation, because he is a holy God, and he is a righteous God, and he cannot tolerate his sin in his presence, what we have from Annas, we have a self-righteous, legalistic man who can't see God even when he comes to him. And we see the spectacular failure of the religious system of Israel. We see how it's been corrupted through and through. And we have it's been turned into a political office, it's been turned into something that you do. And he's occupying it, it's become a power base. And what we find here is he's like many of the Pharisees that Jesus has met on his journey, that these men who tried to earn their way to God. If we did the right thing, if we learned our scriptures, if we, we were good and we, we tried to follow every line of the law, the commandment, we would be okay with God. This guy was a church-going, Bible-believing man. He knew his Bible better than all of us, yet he so missed Jesus who was standing right in front of him. He so missed the teaching of Jesus, you know, when he was there, he failed to recognize the God he worshiped even when he came. And we see just a huge failure of kind of man-made religion to recognize the work of God. And then we see Peter. Well, Peter's maybe the opposite. Peter is someone who actually did follow Jesus. He actually physically went, left his his job, his boat, and he walked around after Jesus, up and down Israel, following him, listening to him, loving him, making kind of sacrifices for him. And then what happened? When push came to shove at the end, when it was kind of, this is your moment, what did Peter do? He spectacularly failed Jesus. He spectacularly failed Jesus. And both those guys, one of them kind of in a self-righteous, legalistic way. And the other one who, who was actually f- following Jesus knew him personally. Both of them ended up failing him spectacularly. And let's move on to the, the final guy, Pilate, verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they had, would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken but what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you... The king of the Jews. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this person... Pur- purpose i was born and for this purpose i've come into the world to bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice pilate said to him what is truth after this after he said this he went back outside to the jews and told them i find no guilt in him but you have a custom that i should release one man for you at the passover so you do not, do you want me to release the, the, to you the king of the jews they cried again not this man but barabbas Now Barabbas was a warrior. Okay, so we've had Peter and Annas have um, had dealings with Jesus, both failed. Now we come to Pilate, the Roman um, authority. And the Jews bring him to him, the Jewish leaders, for Rome. And they're like, okay, they've obviously had some kind of pact beforehand to try and arrest him because Roman soldiers came and did it. So they've obviously got some level of agreement because otherwise Pilate wouldn't have lent them Roman soldiers, but they've got him. They come to the governor's house, but they won't go inside because they don't want to be unclean and go and eat in the house of a Gentile at the time of the Passover. So they wait outside and they kind of make the the governor Pilate, come out to them So Pilate, rather than risking a riot at a very dodgy time of year, because Israel at that time was the volatile part of the nation, they didn't want to stir a powder keg, particularly at the Passover, which was like the massive festival, and there had been hundreds of thousands of Jews descending on Jerusalem. He goes out to meet them. Now, a bit of background on Pilate. He was governor of that area of Judea between 26 and 37 AD. He was known for his uh, brutality and cruelty, particularly in putting down kind of anything that smelt of rebellion and hostility towards Rome. That was a little bit of a hotbed that time, in that place at that particular time, and he was known for his cruelty, which meant he was hated by the people. They would not have liked him. One, he represented Rome, which was an oppressive invading force. Definitely wouldn't like them, but the way he acted towards them as a people and the contempt he showed for them and their religion, he was like, This guy we really don't know, which makes you kind of wonder what place the Jewish authorities are in to actually work with him um in in their um kind of conspiracy against Jesus. But they come to Pilate and they say, We've got this guy, Jesus. Pilate comes out to them and says, Okay, fine, you're not gonna come into my house, I'll come out to you. And he's basically saying, so what is it with this guy? They're obviously a bit cheesed off with him. And they basically say, look, just kill him. We can't, we can't do it of our own. We just want you to just rubber stamp our, you know, our desire to actually just knock this guy off, kill him. And, and Pilate's response is, well, actually, I can't just do it on vague, you know, I can't just kill someone on vague charges, which is encouraging to know. Um, under Roman law, I can't just kill you off. I need to have some reason. So he then takes Jesus' side, and basically he wants to—he he needs to kind of get some some information out of Jesus before he signs off on this execution. And he starts kind of questioning Jesus, and he's not sure what the, um, the the religious authorities are up to. So he's kind of questioning Jesus. He wants a little bit of clarification on on yours, and he's saying, you know, are you are you one of these kings of the Jews? Are you one of these people that, they're going to, you know, they want to kill? Why they want to kill you? And Jesus is saying. Um, are you going to accuse me of being a king of Jews because that's what others say or is that actually what you believe Pilate is that actually what you believe and ironically Jesus is turning the tables he starts interrogating Pilate Pilate's response is I'm not a Jew I couldn't care less about what is going on to you what have you actually done and then Jesus makes this statement my kingdom's not of this world which he's been saying, but otherwise they'd be fighting. Otherwise there would be a rebellion. Otherwise there would be an re- insurrection. Why well, I think he stopped Peter with the sword. He said, my kingdom isn't of this world. My kingdom is about where the rule and reign of God is. He's taught this in his teaching all the way through. It's about coming to know God. It's about coming to, to be in the truth. If you understood my kingdom, you would listen to my voice. You would obey the truth in this. And Pilate is kind of listening to this, thinking actually this guy doesn't seem to have um, any... Uh, opposition to Rome as such he doesn't actually kind of he's not going to become a threat to us he's kind of living in this maybe he's thinking he was living in some airy fairy ethereal kind of world this guy's saying it's not king of my world and people aren't going to fight he's looking at thinking why these guys want to kill him there's no actual evidence there and you'd think at this point if you're watching this and you didn't know the story you'd get to the point you think the judge is going to let him off the judge, the one with authority, the one who is kind of over this situation, is suddenly going to realize they've got no case against him. He hasn't actually done anything wrong. There's no, there's no, he's not guilty. The judge is going to, going to bang his gavel and say, not guilty, you can go free. And if you're watching the film, your response would be, yeah, the innocent man is let off. He hasn't done anything wrong. There are no charges against him. We read the other accounts. The witnesses couldn't line up their agreement. They, 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 they couldn't bring anything against him. He wasn't guilty. We know, we read the Bible, the Bible describes him as sinless. He, he had no fault in him whatsoever. And so they couldn't line up any charges. And you're thinking, excellent, this is going to work out so well. Jesus is going to be let off. And so he goes outside and he says to the Jewish leaders, I find no guilt in him. Brilliant. Good, cho- good job, Pilate. I'm all for this but then he says to them maybe he's afraid maybe he's afraid of what they're going to do what they're going to say we read the other accounts and it says they come back to him and say if you let this guy live who says he's king of the Jews you're no friend of Rome you're actually they'll they'll stir up some problem against him and Pilate fearing maybe for his his safety his authority his political career decides okay let's see if we can find a way out he said well why don't we try and release him to you I could release him to you because there's a custom this time of year where I let one of these prisoners go how about I let him go Everyone saves face, and we're all all right. And they'd say these incredible statements, no, give us Barabbas. Barabbas was a a robber. That's a a polite way of putting it. Depending on how you look at Barabbas, he was a terrorist or a freedom fighter. He was a murderer. He was involved in violent insurrections that killed people, um, and he was in prison under kind of sentence of death for his activities. And if you're a Roman, he would have been a terrorist. If you're a Jew, he'd probably been a freedom fighter. But either way... He was a violent man, and they were basically saying, we will take this violent man over the innocent Jesus, the one who's done nothing, who hasn't stirred up anything, we want to take him over it. And what we see there is the story of Pilate, is he allows it to happen. He's a judge, but he's a coward. He is a coward, and he represents kind of a worldly power authority that doesn't sort of use his power justly, and he ends up rejecting Jesus And we see the rejection of the world there. Jesus has been rejected by the religious kind of life of Israel that worships God. We've been rejected by his followers, Peter. I don't know this man. And now he's been rejected kind of by the worldly power structures. We don't know him. We don't want anything to do with him. You are guilty. And each of these men have failed Jesus spectacularly. Annas failed through self-righteousness of actually thinking he knew better than God even though God was standing in front of him. There is Peter who fa- the follower who failed through fear of maybe what would happen to him if he identified with Jesus. And he was the one who loved him and followed him. And there's Pilate through sheer cowardice saying, I will, just, I will not follow through on what is right and good with this man. I'm going to hand him over and he is going to be executed because I won't stand up to uh, these people. And so each one of them spectacularly failed Jesus. But there's a fourth man in the story the fourth man in the story. Who's the fourth man in the story? Jesus. He's the one who's been there all the way through it. And Jesus is bigger than all their failures. Jesus is bigger than all their failures. How is he bigger than all their failures? Three things and we will finish with this. The first one, Jesus is the true Israel and the great high priest. He is the true Israel and the great high priest. The purpose of the restructure of um, Israel, they, as they laid down in the law, was that men and women would be able to have a relationship with God. That's what the law was all about. They had the sacrificial system, they had the laws, they would be a holy people set apart, and they would be God's people, and He would be their God. That's what he said. That's how you, you will relate to me. I will be my people, you will have my special, you will be my special treasure. You, my favor will be upon you, and I will love you, and you will be mine." And that's what the kind of system is, and the, the, sort of the high priest sort of represents that. And we see over the years through the Old Testament, we see a continual failure of the people of Israel. And then we see the spectacular failure there of the high priest, the one who should represent the people to God there, the one who's actually faced with God himself, and he rejects him. But then we see when Jesus came. We read the book of Hebrews. Who was Jesus? Jesus was the great high priest. Jesus is the one who came perfectly into the presence of God to offer the perfect sacrifice, which wasn't the sacrifice of a lamb, it was the sacrifice of his own body. And actually, he, he said, Now you can relate perfectly to God through me. All the old sacrifices, all the old ways have gone. The temple curtain got torn in two when he dies. And The way to God is open. You can now come boldly before God. We can know God personally because of what Jesus does. The Bible says he is a high priest now interceding before our Father in heaven even now for us. He has made that way open. Where man failed, Jesus succeeded. And we can become the true Israel which are connected to Christ by faith. That promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12, in Galatians it says that if you are uh, connected to Christ by faith, you are the offspring of Abraham. You, you, you inherit that promise. You are one of his people forever. And Jesus has come to make that. So even Annas' failure, the failure of the religious system, Jesus is bigger than that. He can come, you can come and have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are many in this room who would know that for themselves. If you don't know that, I ask you today to consider it. Do you want to know God personally? Because he wants to know you. And he's dealt with the problem. The problem, the Bible says, is our rebellion before him. Our desire to be our own boss, our own ruler, to be lord of our lives. The Bible calls that sin. We were designed to live under the rulership of God because he built us. He created us. Jesus came to deal with that problem. On the cross he died and he bore your sin and my sin on his body so that we can know him forever and God says today just come to him in faith turn away from your old way of life repent of your sins that's just what repent means turn around and come to know him forever and I don't know about you I was just like Annas at one point I was a self-righteous religious Pharisee you could use that basically I thought I was good enough for God by the way I live my life I thought I'd earned my way to God because I was a good person. And what I meant by that was I was, good, I was better than some of the bad people I knew or I could think of. I knew I was better than them because I wasn't using the same language that they were using or I wasn't acting the same way or I wasn't treating other people the same way. And my, my, my kind of standards were nice and convenient where I always was at the top and everyone else was below me because everyone else wasn't as kind as me or as good as me or... Didn't go to church as often as me or didn't read their Bible or whatever it was, but I could work it out that nearly all of you would have been worse than me. I Just give me a moment. All I do is get to know you a little bit. And you would be like, I don't do that. I don't treat people like that. Oh my goodness, you sinner. You need Jesus. But I didn't. I thought, I, I know. I can earn my way to God. I was a self-righteous religious Pharisee, just like Annas. But actually, only then God broke in my life and showed me the depths of my own sin. That actually, when you, you put me next to perfection... I fall so far short. When you put me next to someone who is truly holy, like Jesus, who is perfect, I fall so far short. And if you're like that today, God, I just encourage you, come to Jesus. He can deal with it. He's the only one who can. Do not try and think you can earn your way to God. You can kind of be good enough for God. You can't because you're not. You are fallen and broken and sinful. Every area of your life has been corrupted by sin. And the only way you can deal with that is through coming to Jesus. The second thing that Jesus does is he loves to restore failures. He loves to restore his failures. Peter, what a guy. He did so many spectacular things that I would love to do. Walk on water. Now that's cool. I would love to have seen first the miracles of Jesus. He stood there outside the tomb when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And a guy had been dead three days. Got up and walked out and he saw countless others blind men healed lame and cripples get up and walk dead come to life just and then the miracles of the the water into wine and the feeding of the five thousand, and the calming of the storm in a word but he's still and the storm just stopped and he was there in the boat with jesus he was the one the first one to confess jesus as the christ <laughs> you're the christ he said and all the other disciples were like huh really oh man Peter got it first. Yeah, you are. And they're a bit slow off the mark. What an awesome man. But then he spectacularly fails. No, I don't know him. One of them, one of the accounts the, 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 the in one of the gospels says he actually cursed himself. Kind of almost like, I don't know him. He swore and cursed. I don't know this man. I do not know him. And he, he kind of really was vehemently. And then the cock crowed the third time and he was totally undone. He spectacularly failed Jesus. And if you look through the Bible, there there are a whole bunch of failures who follow Jesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, his early life, he liked murdering Christians. He was really quite good at that. Not a great start. You read other characters who spectacularly failed Jesus. Uh, The King David, mighty King David, writer of the Psalms, slayer of Goliath, guilty, guilty of adultery and murder. Moses, another one, bringer of the law. What did he do? He's another murderer. (laughs) But God loves to restore failures. He loves to restore failures. Peter, after his spectacular meltdown, what happened? You read the book of Acts. He was the one filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up on the day of Pentecost, proclaimed the good news of Jesus. 3,000 added to the church in one year. He became a leader of the early church. He became one of the ones who took the the gospel from the Jewish nation into the Gentiles and non-Jews. He's the one who broke across that incredible cultural racial barrier to bring the good news of Jesus, to break it out of its Jewish origins to to the ends of the earth. He was the one who started that. He was the one who had the vision. He was the one who evolved in the early church. And church history tells of the end of his life when he was threatened with death, more than just a servant girl saying, don't you know Jesus, a much bigger test... He said, no, I will serve Jesus. And he was actually crucified for his faith, it tells us. And so I, I come to you here today and say, if you've failed in your life following Jesus, you're in good company. We all have. If you're a follower of Jesus here today and you know you've failed, whether you think it's a big failure or a little failure or... Do you know what I mean? Even when you fail small times, they feel big to you, don't they? Even when you think I failed relatively, it's probably I haven't killed anyone. (laughs) But actually, they can feel big to you. Whatever it is, God is bigger than your failures. God is bigger than anything you've done. Whether you've had a a relational failure, whether it's a financial one, whether it's just something you've done at work or something, and you know, do you know what, I've just failed in that area. Maybe it's something that happened a while ago, and you're still living with the consequences now. God is bigger than that. God is bigger now, and I think God wants to come and deal with that today in your life. If you know the things in your life you need to, you failed at. God wants to come and bring restoration and bring healing now to you. If you know you fail, all you need to do is we need to come to God. It says. You need to repent and seek forgiveness for your sin and God will forgive you. And then it says he will cleanse you, which is he will bring a cleaning, which doesn't eradicate what you've done, but it brings a freedom and a release from the guilt and the burden of what's happened. I can remember vividly for me an incident that happened when I was a lot younger, but it kind of it, it, it illustrated this sort of what you've got to take hold of in Christ. And I did something that I, was, I felt terrible about, and I remember confessing it at a church meeting with a pastor and just like, this is what I've done, it's horrible, and it was all kind of very upset. But then I spent the rest of that week being reminded constantly of the kind of the shame and the guilt of what I'd done. And I remember getting up every day and just feeling wretched for it. And I went back the following week and I said to the, the kind of the pastor, "I said, wait a minute, I just, I, I, you know, I was sorry, but I'm still feeling sorry can you, for it. Can you pray for me? I still feel terrible. And he said, did you, did you repent of your sin? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, did, you, did you ask God forgiveness? Yeah. And I said, he said, did you mean it? And I said, yeah, I meant it. And then he, said, then he goes to me and says, well, did you believe it? And I was like, no. I, kind of, I felt like I, almost, I had to earn it. And he said, no, you've received it. And I remember, I remember at that moment, it was like, I've been forgiven. And it didn't alter what I'd done, but I was forgiven. And I was free. And I was free from that day on for that particular thing. And I just feel, if you're in that situation today where there are things in your life where you know you failed at and you're still holding on to it, God wants to do something now and bring that, that release. You've been forgiven. You've been dealt with. That's what the cross is about. It's been dealt with. And you can be free from the shame and the guilt. Last one. And we'll finish. Jesus is the one who rules over everything. Pontius Pilate, he represented ultimate authority there. He had the authority over life and death. From a worldly point of view, you can't get bigger than that. I can kill you, he says to Jesus. You know, I have that power over you. And in one sense, from a point of view of Jesus, it looks like the ultimate moment of defeat, failure, and powerlessness. Jesus is standing in the dock, convicted. Is he going to be pronounced guilty? Is What's going on? And there stands over him a judge, Pilate, and basically says... I have power over life and death but actually we know there's a greater power ruling in that situation because we know it says Jesus knew the dawn of death he was going to die he knew what was going to be happen and the actions of a cowardly judge and a worldly authority could not stop the purposes of God we knew that in the moment of defeat what looked like defeat and powerless was actually ultimate victory on the cross that's why we call it good friday when really it's you know you look at it it's pretty bad For Jesus, But actually it's good Friday, a victory. And then we know three days later what happened. He's back from the grave, resurrected in glory. And actually says, death couldn't hold me. I've broken the power of sin. I've broken the power of death. I am alive forevermore. I hold the keys to death and Hades, Jesus says. I'm ruling and reign forever. And whatever may come in life, whatever may come at you, however horrific it might look or feel, God is ruling and reigning over it. Whatever happens over your life, whatever your boss says, whatever happens is done to you from outside circumstances. God is ruling and reigning over it. And you may find yourself feeling like a victim in the face of something happening, but God is bigger than that. And he says, I will work all things for your good, even when they look horrific even when they look terrible, even when you don't understand what's going on, even when things are turned around and you're in the middle of the storm and you're like, what is going on? My boat seems very small and the waves look really big and I feel like I'm going to be Christ. Jesus says, I am ruling and reigning over all things. And whatever's in your life at the moment, whatever you find yourself facing, whatever the kind of the mountain that is ahead of you or something you're living with, God is bigger than that and he can work things out. He may move the mountain. He may just walk with you up it. We don't get to dictate quite how it happens, but God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And sometimes a spectacular happens, and sometimes it's just the plodding daily. Jesus says, I will always be with you. But God is bigger than that, and he can work that out. Amen? Do you want to stand up? Let's just um, spend some time ministering to God with this. Ban, do you want to come back and get ready for me? I just want to just spend a few moments praying. So do you want to just close your eyes, open your hands, whatever you need to do to engage um, with Jesus. And I just want to just walk us through some of those things uh, that, you've been kind of, that have been going on. Holy Spirit, I ask you come now particularly and rest on us as your people. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray you come fill us. Lord Jesus, to respond to your word. Lord, I thank you that you can deal with failures, (laughs) that you're in the business of dealing with failures. Lord Jesus, thank you you're in the business of restoring people who get it wrong and taking us on. Thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your mercy is enough, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. If you're someone here and you don't know Jesus, and you want to know Jesus, I encourage you now just to start talking to him. Just start talking to him. He's here, he's, he wants to know you. If you think you're someone who's tried to live by their own kind of way, and think if I, if I make myself good enough, I'll be acceptable to God. Stop trying. You're never, never going to make it, because you're always going to fail. And Jesus wants to come to know you. And if that's you, I'd love you to just, just take some time, pray. Turn away from your old way of life. Turn away from your sin. Seek his forgiveness. Ask him to become into your life. Be your Lord and Savior. Do that now. If that is you, I'd love to chat with you at the end. Talk to you about that. What's going on. For the rest of you, if you're a believer here and you follow of Jesus, and you know in your life that you failed him, maybe even recently, maybe even today, just come and confess it to God. Come and confess. Seek forgiveness. Say, God, forgive me for that. Be specific about what it is. If there's something that's gone on in your past, like uh, something that's holding you back, something that's just kind of niggling at you, I just want to pray now for a release by the Spirit that actually God will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to bear the burdens of past shame. God will say, I will forgive you and wipe it out. It doesn't change what's happened, but that kind of that dragging, that holding, you are released from, you're free from he doesn't, he doesn't hold it against you. The only one who holds it against you is the enemy who will seek to kind of crush you and push you down. So just, you know, talk to him about that. And if you're in a situation where the circumstances just look too big, <laughs> it's too great, there's something, I'm powerless to defeat this thing over me. People are making decisions about you, relationships, work, family home, finances, whatever I want to just remind you we have a sovereign God who's bigger than that we've got a sovereign God who took stars and flipped them into space who commands the sun when it rises and sets and I pray if you're in that situation God I pray that you would lead your people through God if you want to do it spectacularly we pray for miraculous deliverance done that before three men thrown into a fire and they were fine if it's a slow kind of road lord we pray you bring your presence ever close by our sides so we know you're with us even in the face of difficulties